If you showed up to a party without alcohol, you just, you wouldn't have anything to drink. And when I do it, uh, and, and I pay on a first date, for example, it's really appreciated from their side and almost unexpected. I just remember all of these sixth grade boys sculpting penises for, for hours. Other teachers would walk into the room to get supplies or whatever and they say, oh, hey, hey, uh, Jane, check out my cock. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dating Bound Borders podcast. Today's guest is someone I've connected with a few years ago when writing my book, Sex Before Coffee, A Guide to Dating in Scandinavia. And he's majorly featured in this book. Uh, Stefan is an American creator who lives in Sweden and makes content about American versus Swedish culture. We've actually been going back and forth. First, he took part in my book, and then I took part in his videos, and now he's back in my corner again. So I'm very excited to have you here to talk about the differences in mentality, lifestyle, and the dating scene between the two countries. Definitely. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. And um, I have to say, I just recently started dating someone. And uh, when we when you got in touch with me for this podcast, I'm like, you have to read this book before we start dating because, um, yeah, I read it uh, when it first came out and I, I loved it. And uh, I think anyone that is um, dating in Sweden or, or just wants to get uh, uh, insights into the very unique dating culture that they have here in Sweden, uh, you nailed a lot of the stereotypes and things just like perfectly so it was a very interesting read thank you yeah i think it helped having both expats and foreigners speak about it sorry expats and locals uh talk about these differences and i kind of wish i waited even longer you know like now i was in sweden and i was filming a lot and what made it very interesting is you know i'd be like entering people uh let's say in a park somewhere and they start talking and i was like i knew exactly how they were going to finish that which was super eerie because like when you know the culture so well and especially you know sweden is quite a homogeneous culture like there's not that many differences if you compare it to even say the us where it can depend a lot depending on where you go and so i was like i i was like uh, it's it's too much i know too much almost you know so i was waiting for someone to surprise me and to say something completely different and it just never happened yeah. Yeah, yeah. What was your overall first impression when you when you came for your visit to Sweden this past summer? Was there something that surprised you or stood out that after your research you were like, oh, this is not what I expected? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually, I think what what uh, shifted that you know impression was that I came in the summer, and uh, you know, as you know, summers in Sweden are a special season when everyone comes out of hibernation and enjoys the sunshine. And I came for midsummer, so even more so on the hottest week of the year. So I had a really great impression of Sweden. The only thing that I would say, if I could redo the book and 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 change that part, would be, I said that. I think because I was basing it a little bit more on Denmark, where I said like, oh, you know, like everybody kind of dresses the same. I still find that to be very true. But I feel like women in the summer in Sweden, they are very feminine and they're, they wear a lot of dresses and a lot of colors. So I think that part, I was kind of like, shoot, I need to redo that. I didn't find that to be true. But then when I asked them, they said that, well, no, but you have to come back in November and see it then, because that's going to be a major difference mm. as well. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is I feel like Swedish people or Swedish women, rather, they miss the chivalrous aspect of the man a lot more than I'd assumed. Um, I think I mentioned it in the book, but when I talked to Swedish women, they had kind of a not nostalgic uh, kind of a, that, that feeling of like, well, I wish it was a little bit different here because we kind of we want that. We want a little bit more of that. 
Definitely. Yeah, it's really interesting how uh, people have really different preferences here um, from person to person. And you find a lot of people that uh, really appreciate these chivalrous aspects because it just doesn't happen as much. There's not as much of a courtship uh, culture in uh, Sweden compared to a lot of like, say, Latin American countries or other places like this. So it's interesting um, to see that a lot of people do appreciate that, uh, even in a place where it's not as common, I'd say. Have, have you noticed that, you know, as someone who has obviously dated in Sweden, have you noticed that where women were like, oh, I actually like that you're American because you bring a whole other set of energy? Yeah, um, I would say most of the people that I've gone out with in recent times, they I don't strike them as the typical American because I've been here so long now and I, I grew up also with, with European sort of values, having a German dad and everything. So I get more often that, oh, you weren't like the, the typical American that I was expecting, but more that you were like a blend of a, a Swedish guy and an American guy. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying to be the best of both worlds, but uh, I guess we'll see uh, what you feel when you get to know me better, basically, is, is normally how it goes. But I definitely feel like I have a little bit of traits um, from both both sides. And, and also, I think that just growing up and, and getting older, I mean, moving to Sweden when I was 22 versus now being almost 30, they're 30 this August, um, you have a different mindset when it comes to dating, maybe looking for something a little bit more serious, maybe having a little bit more financial means, being further along in my career, feeling like I could potentially take care of a partner in a different way versus a 22-year-old right out of college. So I don't know how much of that is like a cultural aspect and just being more grown up now versus, but I feel like my American side has started to come out in some ways more of wanting to be more of the provider and sort of this energy in a relationship now uh, as I've become more of an adult myself versus when I first moved to Sweden. So um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. And have you seen a kind of reaction when you, let's say you show that provider side to women? If you've shown it, uh, what, what is the reaction usually? I think um, a lot of people really, really appreciate it, especially the people that I've dated recently. Um, the person that I'm seeing now has very, um, she said on our first date, she has really appreciates the, the chivalrous side, the more traditional values. She likes to stay in her more feminine energy and this sort of dynamic versus the partner that I dated previously was like more on the hardcore feminist, wanted everything equal. Even if I was, you know, working on the business all day, it'd be like, I'd still be expected to like come home and cook dinner 50% uh, of the time or clean up around the house. So like little things, whereas um, in other aspects, which, which is interesting because they're both Swedish girls, um, but one girl is really wanting to be, you know, more of the nurturing energy, cooking food, taking care of things around the house and hey, you just go build your business empire and I'll take care of things. So even within Sweden, I see people with, with different, values so there really can be something for for everyone uh here but I, but i have found that people do appreciate it here when you do take the first step when you invite people out uh, and i try to i always tried to go out like in recent times especially to especially on a first date just be like okay i'm inviting them out i'm choosing the place i, I want to pay for them on the first date and maybe that's more of an american mindset than a lot of swedish guys might have um, but I also know from like speaking to girlfriends of mine, they say that 
they will even take a guy more seriously if they put more effort in, pay on the first date versus maybe they wouldn't. And I, I do think that I've noticed that as well. Um, when I pay on a first date fully, it seems that there's a bit more investment on the, the, the girl's side. So um, yeah, it, it's really interesting. So even in Sweden, I would say that they appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's very interesting when I've talked to Swedish women because a lot of them have this kind of very sweet and almost innocent energy. There's no sense of entitlement in general, which I really love. Whereas like if you go to North America, there there seems to be more of a sense of entitlement. Like, mm. don't take me. I, I don't know if you, I talk about this a lot, but I don't know if you've seen, there was this um, post that came out recently with all the places that you shouldn't take an American girl to. And on that list, we're like Chipotle, don't take me to the cheesecake factory and and all these kind of places that I was just like imagine showing this to a Swedish girl and she'd be like I don't care I mean I just want to get to yeah. know you and that's a really good point actually the the fact that the expectations it's not as expected in Sweden and that's actually really refreshing I think because then when I do it uh, and, and I pay on a first date for example it's really appreciated from their side and almost unexpected there's not this sense of entitlement that you are alluding to um, which I think would kind of be a bit of a, a turnoff, uh, actually, that someone would come into the date and just expect everything, even if it's not a connection at all, um, that they're just feeling this, this sense of, okay. Uh, so I, I do think that it's, it's nicer when it's not expected and it can be sort of a, a positive surprise, especially if it's going well. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful point. Um, I, I really have noticed this, um, not just in Sweden and Finland as well, just this kind of sense of, well, I don't mind if a man pays for me. I think it's a really sweet gesture. I think what happens a lot is maybe, I don't want to say all Swedish guys, but there's almost a sense like if a man is paying for you, there's an expectation of some kind that she's going to go home and sleep with him. And they want to do that on their own terms. They don't want to feel like they're obligated in some way. Mm. And and you know that there's a fear of obligation that the people don't really want to be uh, feeling obligated. But I think if it's done with the right reason of like, well, I enjoyed my time, let me cover this. I, I think mm. that most women, I feel like around the world, even Sweden, Norway, Finland, whatever, they they still appreciate that that gesture. And it, and if you agree with that, what do you think? I mean, if you do that, if you pay on the first date, but let's say on the second date you want to pay as well, um, has that happened to you? Where you're like, no, no, that's fine. I can grab the next one as well. Do you feel yeah. like kind of uh, that they start pushing back? Like, no, 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 let me do this. Mm, definitely. I mean, I... I think every relationship for me has sort of been different. And, and in some cases, I've wanted to um, pay more just because maybe I'm, I'm dating someone younger that's not as far along in their career. And just it just felt more natural to sort of invite them out and, and, and do it that way. And then in some cases, it just felt really natural that there's a bit more of this back and forth dynamic. So I wouldn't say that there's normally a set way for me. But here's something that is interesting, and it's it's not really dating related, it's more like dating adjacent, just like culturally in general. Um, if you go out with you know your colleagues or, or friends or, or whatever, um, in, in America, for example, a lot of times it would be, okay, one, one person pays for dinner, and then the next time someone else pays for dinner. Or if you're doing a, a round at, at various bars, everyone will pay for a different round. Versus in Sweden, it's much more like, a community thing like I'll, I'll go out with some Swedish friends to a bar and one friend like buys a round of shots for like 10 people and I'm thinking wow that's generous 
And then we all get hit with a bill on Swish the next day. Like everyone needed to buy their own shit shot. And I'm like, wait a sec, I didn't order this. And like this would never happen in America that one guy goes to the bar, orders something from everything and then sends out the request for money the next day. Um, so it's, it's a very different, different um, dynamic. And I was sort of shocked when I experienced that for the first time. Does that happen as well when you get invited to people's houses? Like how do house parties go compared to American house parties? Yeah, um, this is this is also quite interesting because at a lot of house parties in Sweden, people will bring their own alcohol to the parties. Uh, and especially in the, in the younger generations, like now when I go to uh, parties, especially with older friends, they normally always provide alcohol at the party. Um, but like when I moved to Sweden, like if you showed up to a party without alcohol, you just, you wouldn't have anything to drink really. Um, which is like, uh, I would say probably less common in the U S and everyone shows up with their system belong bag, you know, from the, the state run liquor store. And, and then the, the fridge is just, you know, 20 different bags from the liquor store in, inside the fridge and everyone has their own. And then, you know, some people just don't understand. Like I have a group of very international friends that has like pasta nights once a week or like wine nights and everyone brings a, a bottle of wine to the party. And I brought a bottle of wine uh, to the last one that I went to. And next thing you know, the bottle of that wine that I brought, it was like halfway gone. I hadn't even had any yet because I put it on the table and everyone's just drinking each other's. And it's just this more community aspect. Whereas I guarantee had I gone to a party with only Swedish people, they wouldn't have opened the bottle of wine that I brought and just been sharing it amongst everyone. So it's a much different um, cultural dynamic with people from Southern Europe, just sharing everything together versus, okay, everyone bringing their, their own uh, and just having their own. Uh, it's very different in that way. Yeah, it, it's something that I find very interesting. I and like in all of the nordics really it's that fear of being obligated like that mm. always comes up in conversation like oh no i'm i don't want to owe anyone anything so if they invite me to their house then i feel like i have to invite them to, to my house and if um you know they bring a bottle of wine that i drink then i have to share mine and if they pay for me i have to so it's kind of always this like okay but it's always this fear of like now i have to reciprocate um mm. why do you think that is do you have any theories on that it's a good question about, I haven't really wondered exactly why that is. I think in every culture, people want to reciprocate in, in one way or another. But I would also say that like, there's a very flat structure throughout the society in Sweden. Like, uh, you see this in a workplace, for example, when you're making a decision at your workplace, everyone gives their input. And then you have a discussion about the best way to move forward and all these things versus like, in the US, the boss will just say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And everyone just kind of follows this structure. So there's more of a hierarchy uh, in um, the US and probably in a lot of other countries. So you have, um, you don't have the same sense of equality in a way that you would have in the Nordics. Whereas that's one of my favorite aspects of working in a, in a Nordic company is everyone feels valued regardless if you're it's your second day on the job or you're the founder of the company that's been running it for 15 years they always take everyone's opinion into account and um, i think that just is a, there's just a very communal mindset in general in sweden so if someone does something for you you just already have the sense that we're all equals here i i don't want someone to be in a different position whereas maybe if you're in a society where you have people higher up on the totem pole, maybe they feel a sense of responsibility to provide for the people under them. And then there's not this 
need a feeling like I need to reciprocate because they're already at the top. Or, or that's just kind of my theory, maybe. Um, yeah. No, no, and I, I totally see that. I, I find it really funny that like Swedish workplace is such a consensus driven place where it's like, if you're the CEO, if you're the secretary, maybe not the secretary, but you all have to kind of agree on something before you move forward. Everyone's entitled to, yeah. to an opinion and everyone needs to sign off on it. And uh, you work in you work in Sweden. What do you do here? Yep. So I work in a, in a Swedish tech company. I've been at the same company now for, for almost five years. We um, basically sell software to sports clubs to run their operation, communication, payments, uh, registrations, everything that a, that a sports club needs basically uh, to operate. But it's um, a very, very Swedish company uh, founded by uh, Swedish people. But now we also have an office in, in Barcelona. And so, the, so I go to Barcelona a lot for work and, and spend time with the Spanish team down there. And it's, there's so many cultural differences. I would say the, the cultural differences between Stockholm and Barcelona is probably even more than Stockholm to where I'm from in the US. I mean, every time I go there, or I remember the first time I went to Barcelona, I had lunch at noon and I'm thinking, this is weird. No one else is eating lunch. And then my colleague said, okay, we booked in some clients for, for dinner tonight. And I asked, what time is, is the reservation? So it's for 9.30. I said, wait, wait, I just had lunch. I'm going to go nine and a half hours between lunch and dinner. And then I realized everyone else was eating at three or four uh, for their lunchtime. So I was like completely, uh, my mind could not comprehend that people were starting their dinner at nine or ten at night. Um, yeah. Any any other differences that you notice between like the, the Spanish way of working mm. and the Swedish? Um, well, we just take, for example, we just had our Christmas party, um, our company Christmas party this week, uh, and we had the Swedish one um, here in Stockholm. We went out for a nice uh, steak dinner. My bosses are Jewish, so instead of doing the traditional Swedish Christmas, we could go out and eat steak, uh, and nobody in our company complains about that. They managed to not hire any, um, any vegetarians in the company, which is quite crazy. Um, so we had a nice steak dinner, and then maybe we had a, a drink or two after dinner. Um, and, you know, people went home 10, 11. And then I talked to our, our Spanish team leader and he's like, oh, yeah, we had our Christmas thing. And, you know, the older guys, we went home at three. And then and then the, the young guys, they went out to the club. I think they came home at eight, nine in the morning. And I'm going, OK, that's a, that's a bit of a difference between the, the Christmas party that we had for, for the, the Nordic team. Yeah, it was so funny when I, I went out uh, to a club in Stockholm and I remember it was like a crazy time. Everybody got drunk. Everybody's dancing. And then they're like, uh, OK, guys, uh, I think it was last call. It was like 1130. They're like, party's over. That was basically how it went. And then literally everyone just took their stuff and went home. And I was like, that is the most organized. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if it was that specific party because I didn't really party mm. a lot. But like, it was like party's over, the end, and everybody just left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's different types of places for sure. There's like a handful of bar, uh, a handful of clubs that are open till like 5 a.m. in Stockholm, and then you have uh, a lot at three, and then bars will normally be a little earlier. And so the people that want to go on, they'll normally go to these clubs that are open till. Five, which for me as an American, I also thought was kind of crazy. I mean, in Spain, they party really late. But even for me coming to Stockholm, because I was in a fraternity in college in the U.S., and fraternity parties would normally die off around one or 
too. And I don't know if it's just because Americans, they drink so fast and they've, they've invented devices to consume alcohol as quickly as possible when you think about like beer bongs and shotgunning beers. Sweden, Swedish people haven't really heard of these concepts before. Um, so we're very good at drinking very, very fast in, in college. Uh, so I think the parties would, would die out kind of early for that reason. Whereas the alcohol prices when you go out in Stockholm are, are much higher than almost anywhere else in the world. Um, so a lot of people, they, they pre-drink at home as long as possible. And then a, a typical going out party sort of night in Stockholm, people will have a, a pre-drink where they drink at home until like 11 or midnight and then they don't even show up to the clubs until after midnight basically so I, I've, I've gone to clubs at like 11 30 and been like where is everyone and then by one it's just packed full of people um so it's different right. yeah, i didn't yeah. expect that from sweden but uh but it makes sense i mean the, the fact that alcohol is very expensive is, is true um i honestly didn't find it to be such a huge difference between canada and sweden in terms of alcohol because in canada we also have these um government-owned stores um we call them lcbo here in toronto mm. at least in quebec it's a whole other thing because they're french uh but here in the english part of canada it's very much regulated and i went to sweden i was in Gotham that was like, I need to find the store. So by the way, there's not that many liquor stores that I found in Gothenburg, but the one that I went to, um, the prices were quite expensive, but nothing incredibly terrible. Then I went to Norway and I remember we did a shoot with the team and I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to treat you all to some beer. And then I went to see how much the beer was. And then I came back and I said, guys, they didn't have beer. <laughs> 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 I was so cheap. I'm going to admit because it was the most expensive uh, jug of beer that I've ever seen in my entire life. I think it was like wow. at like 50 euros, something crazy like that. I was like, what? That oh. is insane, insane. Yeah, so Sweden, in contrast to that, was, you know, doable. But obviously, in a bar, it's it's very, very expensive. But in Toronto, you can buy beer in the grocery stores, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes, you can now. Okay, because this is something that is, um, people have to plan ahead here because you can't even buy anything above, I think it's 3.5%. Uh, so any sort of beer basically you have to buy at the liquor store. And they don't have any refrigerators at the liquor store in Sweden either. So they're really um, basically not incentivizing people to walk in and buy a beer and drink it right away. It's more of a place where you go, you plan out, you buy your alcohol beforehand. And I sometimes wonder how much of that, like, the way a society is structured can have an impact on culture and vice versa because I would say in general Swedish people are less spontaneous than other places that I've been for example if I go out in Spain or in the US it could be like hey what are you doing tonight and then you just go meet up with someone uh, really on a whim whereas I would say if, you, if it's not somebody in your inner circle in Sweden and you're trying to arrange a meetup, it'll oftentimes be like, oh, what are you doing Tuesday in three weeks? You know, so it's, it's a bit more of a, a different uh, vibe, obviously, with your, with your inner circle of closest friends in Sweden. That wouldn't be the case. But um, I, I would be really surprised if anyone in Spain gave that answer when trying to make plans. Like, let's, let's meet up, you know, weeks down the line and you're booking something in your calendar. So I wonder about, like, if the fact that like system belong it being closed on Sundays, the liquor store not open on Sundays and then closing at three on Saturday, it forces people to get into this mindset of needing to plan ahead. 
So maybe that could influence other aspects of culture of people just naturally needing to plan ahead for things. Or maybe vice versa, that Swedes are just very structured uh, people. And so having a liquor store system like this makes sense to them. Whereas for other people, they wouldn't really understand it. Um, yeah, no, I think it makes sense. I think it's also maybe to do with climate that they really like in the past, they really had to plan ahead or they would have died. I mean, if you look mm -hmm. at like southern countries, you can basically survive on the street, um, you know, and it's it's possible, right? So I think it's that idea of like, well, if as farmers, they probably had to really like plan ahead and really make sure that everything was taken care of. But yeah, that's something very interesting. And, and I'm happy you brought it up is this like planning mentality of the Nordics in general, like how much they like to plan out their life. And um, that might be difficult. I can assume like when you just arrived from the US and I don't know if you remember that those first days, weeks or months, was it hard for you to connect with people that way? I mean. Mm. Yeah, um, so I was really lucky because when I first moved here, I was dating a Swedish girl that I had met in the States and had dated for a year in the States. And when I came to Stockholm and stayed with her family in Stockholm the first few weeks that I came, her next door neighbor, uh, same age, she was in a sorority in Florida and had a bunch of friends from college visiting the same time that I came to Sweden for the very first time. And she had a very nice house with like a pool and everything. And her boyfriend at the time is still one of my good friends to this day. Um, so I was super spontaneous back then. I would just, you know, walk over the neighbor's house and knock on the door and see what was going on. Um, so I felt like an instant sense of, of comfort um, from the very first day. And I really clicked with my ex's friend group from the very beginning. Um, but had I come to Sweden and not had this um, basically shortcut into a friend group, I think it would have been a lot more difficult um, to break in to that because I would say in general, Swedish people, they, um, they don't tend to mix friend groups as often as other cultures. For example, you'll have your friends that you went to high school with or, or, or that you grew up with that you've known since you were super young. And then you'll have your friends that you play on a sports team with and then you have your friends from work and they're all like in convenient little boxes and it's rare that you would mix your childhood friends with your colleagues for example whereas where i'm from or or in many other parts of the world it's just natural to kind of mix and match and i tend to be sort of a, a social connector in sweden without even realizing it because you know i'm just thinking even this week i had a lot of friends that are going home for the Christmas holidays and I wanted to see them all before they left and they hadn't seen my new place in Stockholm. So I just invited a bunch of random people that didn't know each other to my place for, for dinner and they all got along super well and, and hit it off. And, and I find that Swedish people might not necessarily do that as often, whereas for me it just seems like second nature. I want to see this person, I want to see this person, I'm free one night, let's just all hang out and... Um, so yeah, and, that, and that's something that I also thought was like, just would make it more difficult to, to make new friends in Sweden because you might not get invited into someone's group of high school friends that's very tight knit, uh, basically. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Maybe it's kind of like the fear of 
well, if I bring this person in and they don't integrate, well, now they know the, this group of people and that's going to be chaotic. And then I'm going to lose that group of people altogether. Mm. It's like that overthinking culture or that overthinking mindset of like, well, I want to keep that group intact because it's been tested and, you know, I've known them for X amount of years mm. and it's very risky to mix that in. Uh, with a new person that might ruin that dynamic. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I also remember my first Swedish girlfriend a long time ago. Um, she made a comment one time about like that she already has enough friends and doesn't want more friends. She's like, I barely have enough time for the friends that I have now that <laughs> um, I don't want to have new friends because then I have to make more time. And, and how is that going to work? So. I just thought this was like so strange. I'm like, who who doesn't want more friends? Like, what do you mean you don't want more friends? Um, so yeah, that was that was a bit strange. But in her mind, she was like, I really want to make sure that I have time and can give like maximum effort to the people that are my friends. Um, and if I invite new people into my life, it might be hard to manage those relationships. I guess in her mind. Yeah, I think it's that maybe they take their friendships very seriously, like they invest so much time into that one person, they really need to test it out, that friendship to make sure it withstands the, you know, the the, the fragility of time, like maybe that the, the investment is there, you know, whereas like in America, in Canada, we very much just say, hey, let's hang out. And then we go and hang out, like, we don't put much thought into it. And then if we drift apart, we drift apart. But with that, like, I talk about the coconut culture of Sweden, because it's very much a coconut culture, you know, like, it, it takes a long time. I mentioned it in the book to break into that. But like, once you break into that, then that relationship is, is for real, you really invest in it. But uh, I, I've gotten the same response um, from so many Swedish people being like, not I might be open to new people, but like I have my group of friends and I've had them since I don't know, six years old and I'm maybe 50 years old now, but it's still the same group of friends and we know each other very well. Um, but what I find very interesting um, is that they have so much free time, don't they? Because it's not like work takes that much time. Uh, like, don't you finish at like 4 p.m. Or, or something like that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work-life balance in this country, I would say. Um, I even had like, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because in the U.S. there's this sort of grinding culture, like of everyone's hustling, trying to get ahead, trying to make money. Um, and like you, you do have those careers here. Like I have friends that work in investment banking and I guess they, they also work very long hours in Sweden, but like the average person in Sweden, you know, uh, doing the nine to five and then has a very relaxing lifestyle outside of work. Um, if, if, if um, I mean, some of my colleagues, they, they leave it three, like multiple days a week to go pick up their kids from preschool. And uh, that's totally fine. Or, or like a bunch of the developers in the office, they want to do their workouts around lunchtime. So they'll go away for an hour and do their workout. Uh, and they're not like working extra hours after five o'clock to make up for the time that they're working out. It's just, oh, it's this work-life balance. Um, and I think a lot of Swedish companies have, have this culture. And I, and I think it's actually more sustainable to work that way. Um, people want to stay in the in the workplace longer um, versus this this dynamic of like needing to be there and, and the boss cracking the whip and and you're maybe not feeling as um, healthy and not having this work-life balance I think that's one of the things that is really um, attractive about working in Sweden and I would say people are, are really 
effective and efficient here because I know, for example, in a lot of countries, like in Spain, our Spanish team works crazy hours. Like they'll leave the office at like seven uh, or eight sometimes, and then they're there at the same nine nine in the morning type of thing. And then I'm thinking, well, okay, if if they're there for average two to three hours longer every day, are they accomplishing a lot more than what the Swedish team is accomplishing? And in my mind, it looks like the, the end result is about the same, maybe. Um, you know, so I, don't, I don't want to be partial. I, I, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, yeah, so it's, um, I'm like, are they getting that much out of those? Two? But, but, you know, Swedish people, they don't talk as much as people in Spain. So I've, I've been in a lot of meetings in Spain where someone's talking and talking and talking and you know it just goes on for a while and like this is why they need an extra two or three hours to get done what they need to get done here uh, so yeah different vibe for sure no that's definitely true right i talk about this a lot but <clears throat> something i really find funny is i had a friend from spain and she was uh describing the word culture to me and my uh, ex who was dutch and he was he was in shock. She was just like, well, we will have some coffee. We'll talk to someone. We'll walk around. We'll have some coffee. We'll work. We'll talk to someone. And it's just, he was just like, but you're at work to work. Like, you want to get it done. Like, I don't want to talk to people and drink coffee with colleagues and, you know, at the water cooler talking about life. Like, I'm there to work. So I think it's that yeah. compartmentalization of the Swedes that's like, this is my work time. And that's my rest time so it's like i'm here not to socialize i'm here to get stuff done and they do that and probably that's the efficiency that you're talking about definitely and, and it's something that i've come to appreciate as well um just that it's efficient uh, but also there's like flip sides of this that are quite interesting like when it comes to learning a language for example um i think a lot of people might have it a, a hard time learning swedish because uh, people don't carry on conversations uh, as much here as maybe like in Spain. For example, I remember the last time uh, I flew to Spain, I had my taxi to the airport in Stockholm. I, I said a few words to the driver and I speak perfect fluent Swedish. So we could have communicated effortlessly if we wanted to, um, you know, and it was like very like short responses, not much of a chat. So we maybe exchanged like 10 words over a 30 minute drive to the airport. Then I land in Spain and my Spanish is like really bad. Maybe I understand like 30 to 40 percent of what people are talking about. And my driver going into town from the airport in Spain was just talking and talking and talking. And I understood like almost only, you know, only 30 percent of what he was saying. I understand like one word and then like nothing for like a minute and then another word and like kind of like piece together what he's talking about. And like anytime, I, I, but I would like know one word so I'd have enough to like formulate a question for him. And then he would be like, oh, and then he would start talking again. Or it's like, I could never picture a Swedish taxi driver. I, I just talk, like ask one question and then they ramble on for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, maybe this is why it's so much easier for people to learn Spanish than Swedish because you can hold a conversation even if you're not at all fluent here because people will speak so much more. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I love that when you go to like any Spanish speaking country and you say two words, they're like, ah, pero tú hablas español. You're like, <laughs> oh, well, okay. And so then yeah. they just, that's it. That's all you need. You know, whereas like, yeah. uh, I think in, I mean, and I think that's that's one of the issues, the, one of the big issues in Sweden is that that 
that difficulty in connecting with people right off the bat, you know, whereas um, having even Spanish friends and having a Spanish guest on this podcast, we talked about the same thing. And she said, there's not much of a loneliness issue in Spain because it's so social. There's such a community, like uh, people socialize so much. Whereas in Sweden, it may be very hard to connect with a new person. And that's why loneliness is so high on the radar for Sweden. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because Sweden is also... Stockholm specifically, I don't remember if it was Stockholm or, or all of Sweden, but it's the, the youngest place in the world where people move out of their uh, childhood homes. Uh, I think it was 17.8 last I checked, which means people on average, like the, the mean age is before they're 18, they're already moved out of their parents' house. Um, and, and Stockholm also, I think, has the highest proportion of uh, people living on their own uh, singles uh, in the world as well. So people are very um, independent here uh, in a way, which is, which is pretty wild. I, I have a funny story. There was a girl that um, she slid into my DMs. This was like when I first uh, had broken up with my first Swedish girlfriends. This was like five or six years ago. I was maybe 23 at the time. And uh, she was talking about uh, she was going to school and that she wasn't from, I was in Norshoping at the time, she was from uh, Gothenburg or someplace that was not there and, and she was living in a dorm. So I just figured it was, a, it was a college student basically and she was, I think being a little bit flirty, she said she was gonna, uh, she made really good meatballs and, and this type of thing. So I said, do you, wanna, do you wanna make me your meatballs basically? And she said, yes, of course. Um, the first red flag was that she was uh, a vegetarian because she she showed up with the the, the vegetarian uh, meat substitute. I'm like, why are you saying you make the world's best meatballs and there's not even meat in it? You didn't bother to tell me this before. Um, the second red flag, she didn't. She felt very uncomfortable speaking English, and my Swedish was not nearly as good at the time. But we spoke um, Swedish that that night, and then. I got to asking her about like, what, it, what is it that you're studying? Um, and she said she was studying like fashion and, and hairstyle design and said, oh, I didn't know they had a program for that at the, at the university here. And she said, no, I'm in, the, I'm in the high school program. And I was like, wait a sec, but you're, but you're living uh, three hours away from your hometown. It's like, yeah, they had a really good program here. So I moved here. And I, I said, how, how old are you? <laughs> she goes, oh, I'm... 16 <laughs> and I was like wait a second and this was like such a such a weird thing for me that a 16 year old would move three hours away from home to attend a special high school with a special program and just thinking wow this is um this is really crazy do you know how old I am oh 21 or something I was like I'm a little old I was 23 I think at the time and I was like this is this is quite weird for me she's like oh I don't think it's weird I was like yeah but this is weird. <laughs> so it was, it was um, definitely a culture shock and it really made it real for me, the statistic of like people on average moving out before they're, they're 18 because the high school track in Sweden, it's more specified to what you want to study. Whereas like high school in the, in the States, it's just, it's the general high school that everybody does. Whereas people go to specific high schools in Sweden uh, called gymnasiums to study like specific uh, things, basically. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Do you feel like that has made Swedish people more mature and kind of self-sufficient in general? Do you, do you notice that? I think so. I think that Swedish people, um, 
Yeah, they're, they're very self-sufficient. They're very self-reliant in general. Um, and, and I think maybe the fact that they're moving out earlier than, than many other cultures has something to, something to do with that, for sure. Compare that to, I think, Italy and Spain were on the opposite ends of the spectrum where the average was, I think, 28 to 29. I mean, I'm thinking people my age is the average when they move out from their parents' house and going, wow, that's, that's the opposite extreme. Um, so, yeah, very Yeah, different. it's definitely, I think, like, in the South, um, whenever I say that, people always remind me, well, we have many economical problems, we can't afford to live alone, and I'm like, I get it, I live in Canada, it's very expensive. I mean, Sweden is, as well, obviously. Uh, but uh, I think it's very interesting. I'm always interested to hear about the differences in that kind of mindset between, let's say, Americans and Swedes, and how this, this affects kind of the... Because, you know, individuality is a really big thing in the U.S., uh, but it's a it's a different kind of individuality. It's more about be different, be unique, stand out, and shine. Whereas like Sweden is not that much about standing out. It's more about fitting in, but also mm. taking care of yourself and not being a child, and essentially like not expecting anyone else to treat you like a child and not treating anyone else like they are. So I think it's that kind of like not asking for help as well, like being like, no, no, I can do this myself type of thing, mm. which is very interesting. I see this even in the the parenting styles of. Swedish parents giving the kids a lot of freedom to explore and make mistakes and not being uh, sort of helicopter parents, as we would say, in the U.S. Um, whereas, uh, for example, I remember when I was young um, and was not happy on my soccer team, I don't know, I was 12 years old or something, uh, and I wanted to uh, basically ask for more playing time or, or something like that. I remember my parents were always adamant about, okay, you need to have this conversation with the coach. We're not going to do it for you. Um, and I think in this day and age in America, from what I've heard, a lot of parents sort of come and swoop in and fight the kids' battles. Whereas um, I've always kind of liked uh, wanting to give the kids the tools to uh, be self-sufficient. Um, I think that's really healthy for them to develop those those skills and I think that's something that from what I've seen in in Sweden seems to be a pretty popular uh, parenting parenting style and also when it comes to parenting in Sweden they don't really dumb anything down like I remember going to the, the the children's library the children's section of the library I'd never been to the library so I was just exploring all the different sections the beautiful library here in Stockholm and then I found this like sex book for kids and you know it's going into a lot of details about all of these things and, and but it's targeting like people that are you know, 10 years old uh, and I just remember thinking to myself wow my mom who's a sexual health teacher in the US um, her school district basically they said that they they could not teach um, you know even the contraceptive methods or, or anything like that they had to teach abstinence was the only way basically and as, as part of her curriculum which she really disagreed with but is coming from the, the higher-ups basically and okay that's one method of teaching sexual education just don't have sex <laughs> versus in Sweden they give the 10 year olds books of this is a vagina this is a penis this is a healthy relationship what it looks like what and um, that is just a, a, a huge difference uh, in terms of um, in that aspect of, of sexual education. 
Yeah, I when I was in Sweden, I tried really hard to find a bookstore because I really wanted to uh, film some of the material that kids learn from. I wasn't able to find one, but then in Norway, I finally stumbled upon a bookstore. And the girl at the the counter was like, well, would you need any help? And I was like, can I find a children's sex book? <laughs> I've heard so much about it. I was like, I need to take a look at this with my own eyes. It was all written in Norwegian. But yeah, I got the gist of it. The photos were quite explicit. Or the pictures, not the photos. Yeah. And, um, and it's funny. We had that conversation when I was interviewing you for the book. And you told me about the experience of teaching kids sex ed. So for yeah. anyone that hasn't read the book, tell us about that. Yeah, um, so this was quite crazy. We had what's called a theme week when I was a teacher. So I taught as a teacher my first year in Sweden and uh, all the different uh, grades would have a different theme and each each theme had two teachers assigned to it. So I remember my theme, um, I was with one other teacher, we had the sixth graders and we were teaching sex ed for our uh, theme basically. and. Um, I had not decided the, the curriculum, this was decided by the, the school, and me being sort of new in Sweden, the other teacher that I was partnered with, she sort of took the lead uh, on, the, on the unit, and I was just kind of there to support. So I said, what, what's the plan? What are we doing? So the first thing we did was, okay, we gave all the kids the, the markers for the board, and we said, okay, this theme that we're going to go through this week is all about sex. Um, so any questions that you have about sex, if, if there's terminology that you've heard before or you want to know what it is, we just want to start the unit. Um, we're going to leave the room and you can write anything that you'd like on the board and we'll come in and we'll discuss everything together and explain it. <laughs> okay, this is an interesting start uh, to the, the unit, but okay. So we left for five minutes, we come back in and of course the board is just covered with you know, uh, everything, 69, Pornhub, uh, Reverse Cowgirl, uh, you know, every kind of uh, sexual terminology that the kids could come up with. And we would go through one by one, every single term, uh, this is what 69 is, and then this is what, you know, <laughs> so it was um, so strange to go through this with sixth graders, uh, I thought. But the real shocker was when the next part of the unit was the art project, where we basically, there's this Swedish artist that would basically paint large penises and vaginas on the side of buildings in, in a very artistic way, and she was the, the inspiration for the, for the art project. Um, so we gave the, the kids a bunch of clay, and we're like, okay, you can express yourselves. And I just remember all of these sixth grade boys sculpting penises for, for hours in this lesson, and and they were just having such a such a fun time, and you know, other teachers would walk into the room to get supplies or whatever, and they say, "Oh, hey, hey, uh, Jane, check out my cock," you know, and you know, they're talking about their their art project, but to to a stander by that, that doesn't know what's going on, they're like, "What the hell's going on in, in this classroom?" You know, and. Um, all the, the boys, they, they're doing really detailed. They're putting in little black strings for the hair on the ball sack. And, you know, I'm, I'm going around complimenting them. Oh, Isaac, that's a really nice uh, ball sack you have, <laughs> you know. Um, how do you, like, try to um, get through this, basically? And then I remember we had one kid from uh, the Middle East, from Eritrea. And he was one of my favorite students when I was teaching there. And he, he had this elaborate sort of 
mosaic of uh, uh, like elephants uh, and in a heart shape with the trunks and and I said Osman how come you're uh, how come you're not making uh, you know a penis or vagina like the the rest of the students he said um, Mr. Tyrone I, I just didn't want to be touching a dick for two hours I gotta be honest <laughs> and, I, and I said you know um, you, you think a lot along the same lines of what I think a lot of the American guys would have said as well um, so that one I thought was was quite quite funny <laughs> uh, imagine being a middle eastern parent and sending your kid to a swedish school it's oh. like what did you do today i made a yeah. penis dad oh <laughs> that's yeah. it we're not taking you to school anymore you're homeschooled oh. from now on and the the craziest in, in all of this is that we displayed all the students artwork in the hallway outside my office so every day walking to my office i would walk by a, a wall of penises coming out of all different shapes and sizes and colors uh, and it was just it was so surreal that, that this was being displayed for it for months after afterwards I'm kind of on the fence about this project I don't really see much value being added to the, like to, <laughs> to me I guess kids do like draw penises on walls to express the fact that they have one I'm not really sure the the point but like maybe it's that they do it in a kind of controlled environment like okay you want to do this here's some clay mm. and go wild but as for whether or not that gives you any value as a kid, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I do like the idea of talking about these taboo subjects because honestly, we live in the age of internet and so any kid can just find Pornhub or whatever uh, with just a click and unless you have parental controls. And I think they're going to learn about sex regardless, right? Like we all learned about sex one way or another. For some of us, it was like, uh, for me, it was like I found a book that my parents had and I was like, oh, my God, what's this? So I, or like just trying to guess and kind of put two things together through movies. Uh, you're like, oh, this is oh, OK, that that's how. OK, so that's how I kind of found my way to it. But it was a lot of guessing. I didn't really know mm. what it was, really. I don't know how your experience was. Probably wasn't the same. <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, definitely a lot different. I, I had a teacher in high school, so I was probably already 15 at this point, much older than the sixth graders that I was teaching, and, and he was, like, embarrassed to teach the subject, so he just had a PowerPoint that we go through, and he's like, okay, fill in the blanks on your worksheet, you know, and all the kids are just <laughs> filling in the, the, the empty spaces. But um, it was very, very awkward subject for, for him, I think, to cover, um, whereas I think... It's hard to necessarily see the point of the art exercise that we did from the outside, but I think it uh, it did maybe in some regards uh, reduce the stigma around sex and get people more just comfortable and, and normalize it in a way because it's a it's a normal part of life and I think that when you just desensitize it, you remove the taboo and the stigma around it. It's it opens up um, the opportunity to talk about it in a in a more straightforward way i think whereas for a lot of more prude cultures uh, that don't have these sort of experiences when they're younger it, it's more difficult and awkward uh, maybe to talk about it that'd be my theory anyway yeah no i definitely agree with that i think um i think it's uh yeah it's taking that taboo out of that subject like kind of like saying oh this is an arm this is a leg this is your penis it's basically mm -hmm. the same body part um i've, I've wrote i've written about it in the book uh and this is something that i when i was looking up examples of that it was um the story of the danish woman who wrote about uh her husband reading a story to her child 
and the story was like oh max and the girl are having sex and he puts his penis inside her vagina and then you know and she was like oh my god what is my husband doing like he can't be doing that he can't be reading a story like that to the girl and then she kind of got to thinking about it and thought to herself well why lie to kids why call it pee pee wee wee whatever i don't know the words it's like we mm. willy uh, whatever uh why not just kind of talk about it the subject to them as if they're adults and yeah. get them to understand what it is right so yeah I, i i think and you know looking at swedish society i mean there is a high rate of chlamydia <laughs> however mm. <laughs> other than that <laughs> it's not so bad <laughs> yeah also just uh there's a lot less of a stigma i would say around um sexual transmitted infections in sweden in in general um i, I remember going to uh, get checked you know when i when i first arrived in sweden going in and talking to the nurse oh i really hope i don't have anything you know and, and she's like yeah, if you do it's fine you come in you take some antibiotics you'll be good in a week or two it's just like just this like uh, not a big deal you know it's it's life it's just part of life and uh that's that's um super super interesting um that that it was because in america it gets stigmatized and built up into a much bigger thing than maybe it is um in the the reality uh, so that was also sort of a, a shocker to me these these interactions with with people that that work with this on a on a daily basis versus experience i had in the us Do you feel like uh Swedes talk more about sex or differently about sex than Americans? Have you noticed anything in that regard? Yeah, I think it really varies. It really varies from person to person. Um but I found at least in my relationships I'm really comfortable talking about sex and and so I've I have a pretty open communication about my experiences and those kind of things. So um because I've shown that side in a lot of my relationships, it's really easy for my partners or people that have dated in the past to um also open up uh, about their experiences so i think it just really depends on the person and the the dynamic that you that you have with them basically how how many swedish girlfriends have you had since living in sweden oh sure um so there was a girl i dated in the us for a year and then we dated in sweden my first year basically and then um i dated a Swedish girl around COVID for a year uh and then I dated a girl who was um from Norrland uh we broke up about a year ago we also dated for a year and then um just recently started seeing someone um so which is quite new um so I would say three proper relationships that were like a year or longer maybe a little bit longer than a year in some of those and then um uh, some flings in between uh as well for a few months here and there basically so guys this is a message for you if you want to see stefan and his girlfriend i would love to have them back on the show we didn't have time today but i'd love to have them back and actually get the perspectives of both of them in in the relationship i think it'll be very interesting so yeah. let me know below that'd be really fun because she's also lived in the US and UK and um being a swedish girl she has a lot of um unique perspectives let's just say that yeah it would be very interesting and something really funny i i got a message 
uh, yesterday I posted a video and I was talking about dating in different European countries and I talked about Denmark and one of the guys said, well, Marina, this is all fun and great, but you know that uh, Scandinavian women are not open to dating foreigners. And I was like, actually, tomorrow I have a podcast where I'm going to interview an American guy who is dating a Swedish girl. I also know a British guy, Ryan, <laughs> who's yeah. in a relationship with a Swedish woman. I also know a Mexican guy who is also in a relationship with a Swedish woman. So yeah. I don't know if there's any kind of discrimination or anything like that that I'm not really aware of. Or maybe people are more close-minded and, and it's easier to date within their culture. But you've had so many girlfriends in Sweden. You haven't had mm. any issues at all. No. Um, and I would also say, though, that I'm very much drawn to um, Swedes that have also had some sort of international experience. Um, and I think being someone that's quite international myself, that's just something that I'm very much attracted to. I don't think I could move to the U.S. and just date an American girl from Portland, Oregon that's never been outside the country. Just like I don't think I could date a girl from Stockholm that's never lived abroad or at least had the desire to live abroad at some point. Um, so that's something I really value and I think um, if you're maybe in a, in a small Swedish town where people aren't as well-traveled, um, maybe it would be uh, more difficult, perhaps. Yeah. And you're from Portland, Oregon, or where are you from originally? Yeah, I'm from just outside uh, Portland, Oregon, but actually on the Washington state side. So uh, the town is called Vancouver, Washington. But I, I never say that because people get it mixed up with the Canadian one, which is another six hours north of that. No, no, I've definitely heard of it. And I mean, you said that you have a German father. I was actually thinking about mm -hmm. it yesterday. I was like, well, his name is Stefan. So wait, yeah. is he really American-American? So that now it makes sense uh, because it's a more European name. Yeah, yeah. It is, I, was, I just had a doctor's appointment um, for like a nose a deviated septum thing I've, I've had that I'm going to get fixed. And the doctor was like explaining really complicated medical terminology in Swedish. And I was like, "Do you mind ex explaining that again in in English?" And he's like, "You're not you're not Swedish." <laughs> and he's like, your, "Your name is Swedish. You're speaking Swedish." I said, "Yeah, but I'm from from the U.S. My my dad's German. I'm named after a German guy." Goes, oh, okay. I'll take it in English. It's um, pretty impressive that you speak Swedish so fluently. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, if I'm gonna get surgery, I want to know what I'm getting into without any miscommunication going on. So, um, yeah. But. So I feel like uh, maybe that's the reason that you were drawn to moving to Europe in the first place. Do you feel that that impacted you, like the German dad and that feeling of like, well, maybe I don't really belong in the American culture? Yeah, I, I mean, my family, we lived in Germany for a year in, in Berlin when I was really young, like five years old. So I spoke fluent German as a five-year-old. Um, and I think I always sort of had this strong connection to European culture. So I, I felt really at home from very early on uh, in Sweden, from like the day I came, I was like, wow, this is a really cool culture that I really feel like I fit in with. And I mean, my name is a perfect example that it's a, a common, common name in Sweden and in the US people can't spell it right. It was sort of this name that is super uncommon uh, in the US. and maybe subconsciously like little things like that just make you feel like okay maybe i belong in europe more there it just felt felt very natural for me are there any strong reasons as to why you feel like sweden is more your home than us is mm, i mean the number one reason now is that i've just been here so long that i've got my 
circle of close friends here. I've got my job here, um, all of my connections. I mean, my whole life, I'd say that more than anything else. Um, I also love the fact that being in Europe, there's so many things so close together. Uh, so it's, it's so easy to go for a trip to Spain, Italy, a hop on a flight. You can go to so many different countries in such a short, uh, such a small area. Uh, and in the U.S., it's just you can't replicate that. I mean, you can go to Mexico on a three-hour flight or, or Canada, and Canada is not so different from the U.S. I mean, you're speaking the same language and very culturally similar. Um, so I, I do like the fact that Europe is this melting pot of a lot of different cultures and, and things going on in a, in a small area. I agree. I'm going to Mexico in two days and <laughs> I've chosen one of the two options. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And nice. was there anything that was incredibly hard to get used or something that you still struggle with? Maybe sometimes you miss something about the American mentality. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's this one's pretty interesting because I feel like I have this uh, very ambitious uh, performance like mindset that many Americans have, sort of this hustle culture mindset. Whereas I find that a lot of Swedes, maybe a little bit less so in Stockholm. Oh, Stockholm, a lot of people, are, it's a capital city with a lot going on. People are doing side hustles and things, but. Uh, versus the the work ethic in America, it's um, it's a completely different level how in, insanely hard uh, Americans work. Um, but I feel being an American in Sweden, you kind of get the best of both worlds because if everyone else is chilling out and then you're working hard, you can get ahead easier, right? So um, I have one Swedish friend, my old neighbor, he worked on Wall Street as an investment banker, as a Swedish guy and did that for two or three years. And then he said when he came back to Stockholm, it was like life was just on easy mode because when he was working on Wall Street, they had these things called uh, shower taxis, you know, because they would work all day and they'd take a taxi home and then they would like sleep for an hour, take a shower and then come back to the office. Uh, like just an insane work environment that I could not for a second understand. And then coming back to Sweden for him was like, wow, it's just such a relaxing uh, environment and this is what I always feel time and time again when I'm away from Stockholm or, or Sweden for a long time it's always fun to come back because there's just a sense of calmness work-life balance um, that it's really a, a unique uh, nice spot to be yeah, I had the same conversation with an American guy. Uh, he also has his YouTube channel, um, but he lives in the Netherlands. And so he mm. was also sharing to me that he's so used to the hustle culture of the U.S., uh, where in the Netherlands, people are like, why, 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 why are you hustling so much? Just, you know, there, there is the work-life balance as well, uh, just like in Sweden. And he's, he's kind of at the crossroads as well, where he's like really enjoying that, but he kind of misses the other side of it where, so, uh, he says like in the Netherlands, it's not so much about getting ahead or, you know, getting to that spot. It's all about kind of just taking it slow in a way, you know, like enjoying your life, you know, working and, and combining the two. Um, I do feel in North America, there's definitely more of a drive to, uh, to achieve and to to get ahead. I mean, especially in America, I think that's 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 a that's a big uh, that's a big pressure that people have, and mm. it's great if you want to really get somewhere. But I think for a happy life, it's really nice to have that balance. You know, 
where yeah. you're not constantly like running, running and rushing. And yeah, yeah, it's different. And there's there's aspects that I do like about both because sometimes I, I wish that people would just put their head down and, and power through and you know really grind it and, and uh, go to the next level. Uh, but then other times I'm like, it's probably more sustainable, relaxing and, and better um, for, for us as people to have more of a, a balance in life, actually. And uh, that's something that I really like. Has Sweden changed you at all as a person? Um, definitely. I, I think it's probably changed me in many ways that I that I don't even consciously know it's just become ingrained in a part of who I am uh, basically at this point yeah I mean everyone's so impacted by their surroundings and me having spent you know over six years now the entirety basically of my adult life after college um, I feel like I'm uh, like like when I say I go on a date and people are like oh you're not the American guy that I expected you're this mix I mean, it just, I, I am now Swedish and American, um, and, and I can officially say that because I have a Swedish passport now as well, um, which is uh, pretty, pretty cool. Congratulations. Thank you. When you go back to the U.S., are you kind of feeling, feeling like, uh, what's that saying, fish out of the water? Sometimes I get very, uh, <laughs> English is my second language. Type of <laughs> yeah, um, fish out of water. No, I mean, I always feel like, I, I I understand it like um, I mean having grown up there sometimes I, I think like wow things have changed a lot in in some ways um, when I go back but also when I go back I'm, I'm normally not going to one place I'm going I see my uncle in LA for a week or two and then I go see my parents in Portland and then I go to Nebraska and see my cousins or, or maybe a friend in New York so I get a lot of different perspectives and you really realize like America is a huge country and there's a lot of different lifestyles. I mean, you can pick your own adventure and live somewhere in the US and uh, there's something for everyone there, just like there's probably something for everyone in, in Europe. Um, so yeah. I feel like there's a trend nowadays to say bad things about the US, which I don't really appreciate because I do think, of course, US has its drawbacks, you know, the guns and uh, the healthcare. But I also think there are a lot of as you said, there are so many states to choose from and each one has its own vibe. So, you know, there is really a variety. It's maybe not as much of a variety as if you travel to Europe and you have, you know, countries like Spain and uh, Germany and Sweden, very different. Uh, but there's still a variety. And I feel like nowadays, like all the videos that, that compare the two and say, well, Europe is better than America, they get the hits because people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah America sucks. It's kind of like we're encouraged to think that way. Yeah, and, and I, I wonder if there's some sort of um, cultural, because I see this a lot of times in, in YouTube videos and in the pop culture of, of people not being as proud of being American as maybe they were in like the 80s and 90s, it seems like, when you had like the, the Reagan era and there was this really patriotic vibe throughout the country, um, which I think is kind of sad in a way. I think people should be proud of where they're from and, and want to represent their country well and um, but then again, the U.S. is uh, more patriotic than maybe Sweden is. You know, Sweden, you, like people aren't people aren't bragging about their country in, in the in the same way. I mean, people, for example, if you go around my neighborhood in the U.S., you'd probably see like every third house has an American flag in their front yard, or at least when I was growing up. And here, it's 
it's not like that in Sweden where every house has a Swedish flag in their front yard. You know, it's, it's less common. Maybe in the summertime, <laughs> not in the winter. You never see Swedish flags in the winter. Actually, in the biggest uh, town square in Stockholm, right by the central station, you don't see any Swedish flags. You see a Canadian flag, though, because the Canadian embassy <laughs> is located there. So you're in Sweden and you're in the most popular square in Stockholm. There's a Canadian flag, but no Swedish one. You're right. I remember that now. You know what? I had such a great experience in Sweden. I think going into it, I was like, oh, I'm not going to like it. And I think, like I said, I think the fact that I came in the summer for midsummer, it definitely had a, there was a change in the atmosphere. But what I, I, I love sharing this to people because this was the biggest surprise for me when I was there. I wish we actually had a chance to meet, but um, I was at some point completely alone with my camera and I didn't have anybody helping me because I decided to take on the filming by myself. So mm. I would walk around the parks of Sweden and I would just, in Stockholm and in Gothenburg, and I would just talk to people. I would just say, hey, can I do an interview? And I had the sweetest, sweetest responses from Swedes. So much so that I was like, wow, I, I just felt like invincible. I just felt like I could talk mm. to anybody, you know? And it yeah. was the weirdest feeling because you go to this country that's known as this reserved introvert sort of country. And, you know, it's not Spain, it's not Mexico, but like the reception that I got was really nice. And people were so willing to talk to me. We talked about dating relationships. We like, you know, uh, compared notes, how is dating in your country? How's dating in your country? And like at the end of when I was in Gothenburg, I met this group of guys that were doing acro yoga and uh, I said, like, I really wish I could do this with you guys, but I'm leaving in a day and you only go, let's say on Thursdays, but tomorrow's Wednesday. And they said, yeah, let's, we'll do this for you. We'll go into acro yoga together. So we got together and like my last day in Sweden, we went into acro yoga. Uh, they were a bit more hippie. So they were like, oh, we don't really, we're not like the typical Swede or whatever. But yeah. still, I found that it was people almost like, I think because I re radiated so much happy energy and because I was a foreigner, mm. People felt themselves drawn to that. And maybe yeah. because of the summer, it amplified that. But I, I left Sweden just feeling like I, I have this warm and fuzzy feeling when I think of Sweden now. Mm. I think you just nailed it spot on. Uh, like in every aspect, like Swedes, they want to be very helpful. Uh, they're very kind people in general. Um, they're very interested in foreigners as well. And in the summertime, they're even more extra happy. So you kind of hit the, the trifecta there, I would say. I picked um, the dates well, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and this is really interesting, too. I have a, a Canadian friend who uh, grew up, he grew up in Canada his first 11 years, and then he moved to um, Sweden when he was 11. So he speaks perfect Swedish and English without an accent in either one. And he oftentimes will... will like feel like he will get more treated more special when he speaks English instead of Swedish. And I can't think of too many countries in the world that would treat you better if you're not speaking the native language versus speaking the native language. Um, so there is this curiosity and willingness to treat foreigners well. And, and, and if a foreigner is not doing something that's deemed as socially acceptable in Sweden, They'll say, oh, they don't understand. They're not from here. They don't understand the, the system here. Versus if you're speaking Swedish, you can't get away with anything. Oh, he's Swedish. He should know better, sort of. Um, whereas I would feel like in most places, it would be the opposite. If you go to France and you speak French, you're going to get treated much nicer than if you're speaking English. And Germany, same thing. If you go to Germany and you, if you try to speak a little bit of German, everyone's 
faces light up and they're excited. Um, whereas in Sweden, it, you don't necessarily get special treatment if you're speaking Swedish, which is... Uh, I feel like know. they love speaking English as well. They really like it. And yeah. their English is so good. It's so fluent. Definitely, it is. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for joining me today. Guys, once again, if you want to have him back with his girlfriend, Lisa, let me know in the comments below and we'll arrange that. And we'll talk about relationship, dating, uh, cultural differences from that standpoint. Guys, if you want to check out Stefan's channel, I'm going to link to it below on YouTube and Spotify, potentially in Apple once I figure out how that works. And also his Instagram, so you can go and check him out. And thank you so much. It was so cool to see you again. It's like talking to a friend, even though we actually never get a chance to be in real life. Yeah. Next time you come to Sweden, I will make sure uh, I'm in, in town. So uh, yeah, we definitely have to organize a link up. And, and thanks for having me. It's a, it a ton of fun. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed it as well. Guys, stay tuned for next week's podcast where I feature friends. And uh, see you later, Stefan. Bye. All right.